Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, the only free 24-7 Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Bring your A-game. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome everybody. Happy Friday to you, TGIF. Thank you for tuning in to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Of course, that's, that's me. Uh, and I'm going to have uh, a little bit more company than usual today. And I am really, really looking forward to it. We're going to have uh, Bobby Sylvester from Fantasy Pros on uh, to look at a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to go over a big, big pool of interesting two-star pitchers. I don't know that the pool is necessarily bigger, but I think the number of interesting pitchers and intriguing pitchers is bigger, much bigger than usual. We're going to go through that. We're going to look at uh, tonight's slate a little bit. A few pitchers that I think are uh, a little bit difficult to get a beat on. So uh, Bobby will help me out with that. And uh, we got, uh, I asked for the Twitter questions. Only got one, but Bobby's going to help me out with that one question. And hopefully it'll be something that will help all of you out. And then on the show, Kyle Body from Driveline Baseball. Uh, Driveline does a lot of really cool stuff with uh, basically applied research, uh, working with a lot of the uh, major leaguers that you know and love, uh, and working with uh, research and statistics. And uh, Kyle's going to share some of what they do at Driveline and uh, along the way maybe help us interpret uh, some of the stats we use a little bit better. So I'm looking forward to that uh, conversation with Kyle Body uh, coming up a little bit later in the show. And it's also been a really interesting news day today there's definitely a theme. Uh, there have been some unexpected transactions, but they're transactions that basically have created a ripple effect where you've got some some potentially impact impactful players uh, who are going to get some more playing time now. So let me get right to it. Uh, the big and I think very surprising story was uh, Hanley Ramirez is going to be designated for assignment by the Boston Red Sox to make room for Dustin Pedroia, who will be activated. Uh, I did see a note, although I've not seen the Red Sox lineup yet, that uh, Pedroia is not going to start. I still don't see actually see the whole lineup. But in any event, Pedroia will be activated. Handler Ramirez will be designated for assignment. And so the obvious fallout from that is that Mitch Moreland, I would expect, will be the Red Sox every day first baseman and that's actually it's not just good news for Mitch Moreland I mean rotation bit where uh Ben Intendi and Jackie Bradley have been sitting not you know really often but often enough to allow both Hanley Ramirez and Mitch Moreland to get a decent amount of playing time so with Ramirez gone I think that rotation's gone you're going to see uh Ben Intendi playing every day I would assume maybe more against lefties now, uh, which I'm, I'm actually not sure if that's a good or a bad thing, but 
I, I would expect he'll be in there every day. Jackie Bradley, I think, would be there every day or close to every day. Uh, and Mitch Moreland in there pretty much every day. And Moreland's having a, a great start to the season. I'm going to do a lot of. I'm going to do some uh, not so humble bragging here because one of the uh, uh, bold predictions that I make going into the season was that Mitch Moreland and I, I didn't probably word it strongly enough. I said Mitch Moreland's going to take playing time away from Hanley Ramirez. He's going to be the better performer, and he's going to wind up with a 25 homer season. Uh, so I could have gone even stronger with that probably, but uh, I actually think now with Moreland, if you project out regular playing time for him he should be able to get to 25 homers and he's heading for average. And um, it got a lot of questions this morning on Twitter, people asking Moreland or this guy, Moreland or that guy. And um, I'm, I'm going off of memory here, but I know some of the uh, players that I, I would prefer Moreland to include uh, Justin Smoke and Josh Bell. Although with Smoke, it's neck and neck. So that should give you an idea of at least what my expectations are. Somebody also asked me, about uh, Jesus Aguilar, and I actually said, go with Aguilar, and that takes us to our next sort of surprising story that Craig Council uh, told reporters that he is going to keep Aguilar as an everyday player in the lineup, even with Ryan Braun back now. So that's probably not great news for Braun or for Domingo Santana, who did not start last night uh, against the Mets with uh, both Aguilar and Braun in the lineup. So uh, I've got a lot of Domingo Santana. For the most part, I've been been sticking with him. I think I dropped him in one league, but otherwise been sticking with him, been benching him a lot. You know, now I think at this point, you, you've got to, uh, if you don't have somebody to plug in for Domingo Santana, you need to go and, and find a replacement. Uh, I would say in shallower leagues, if you haven't dropped him yet, you probably can. But I would say even in a 12-teamer, let's see how this plays out. Uh, because just because Craig Council says that Aguilar is going to be an everyday player for now, doesn't necessarily mean he will be even a week from now. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, I do love the the power that Aguilar brings. The numbers he's putting up this year are very similar to the numbers he put up last year. I think he's legit. He's got a great ballpark to hit in. So, uh, I, and I actually have every reason to think that he can sustain this and remain in the lineup uh, pretty frequently. And some other Brewers news, Orlando Arcia has been demoted to AAA Colorado Springs. So this is another move that creates some playing time fallout. Now, according to um, MLB.com, there's going to be a three-way split of Tyler Saladino, Hernan Perez, and Eric Sogard at shortstop. But Saladino was the way that uh, the beat writer, beat writer Adam McCalvey put it, was Saladino along with Perez and Sogard. So I'm, I'm reading into it, and I don't think I'm reading too deeply into it, that Saladino is going to get the, the first crack at the bigger share of playing time. And it wouldn't be too you know, surprising to, to expect that because uh, he's been getting a little bit more playing times, already was eating into Arcea's starts and hitting very well. And I, I liked Saladino two, three years ago when he was really, you know, he was coming up with the White Sox and, and sort of on the brink of maybe becoming a regular there. And in the minors, he showed a, a nice blend of power and speed. I think that, that potential is still there for Saladino. And I'm not talking about even necessarily a 2020 guy uh, if you you know project out for a full season. But 
maybe 15-15. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. But again, a good ballpark for Saladino to hit in. And uh, certainly somebody I'm going to be trying to pick up in my 15-team leagues and deeper. So that's a, a lot of interesting uh, impacts there with those moves. Uh, Jet Bandy, and uh, sticking with the uh, Brewers theme here, he was designated for assignment, and the Brewers traded uh, for Eric Kratz from the Yankees. So Eric Kratz will now be, at least temporarily, the backup to Manny Pena in Milwaukee. And the reason why we don't see Jacob Nottingham is because he has an oblique injury. So this sort of has the look of Kratz keeping the seat warm for Nottingham. So there's something to think about a little bit um, and maybe in a deeper league do a a Jacob Nottingham stash since uh, that seems to be clearing the way for him. Mac Williamson also uh, as long as we're on the the theme of players uh, getting suddenly more playing time, Mac Williamson's been activated and Bruce Bochy told the athletic that he's going to be the team's everyday left fielder. So uh, if somebody dropped him while I was on the DL, uh, it's time to uh, pick him up. And if you already got him, it's time to get him into your uh, active roster. From the St. Louis Paul DeYoung update, he, uh, of course, he suffers, excuse me, sustained a left-hand fracture, and he is expected to be out another four to eight weeks. So essentially, at least a month. That's really the best uh, best case scenario for DeYoung is missing a month with this left-hand fracture. And in other much better Cardinals news, Alex Reyes pitched in what was probably his last minor league start uh, yesterday. And he went seven innings. He gave up a hit. He gave up a walk. And he struck out 13 batters. So his time in the minors, he was absolutely dominant. Um, So Reyes' next start will likely be sometime next week. For the Cardinals, uh, there is still the question of exactly what the Cardinals are going to do with their rotation and how they're going to make room. I know that uh, Jack Flaherty owners are a little bit nervous. Luke Weaver owners are a little bit nervous. Uh, I think most of us are probably rooting for Weaver, maybe even for Weaver owners. Uh, but uh, that that all remains to be seen, how it's going to play itself out. So um, that's, uh, yeah, it's uh, time to get Alex Reyes, uh, have him picked up if he's not already and, and get him ready to, to go. Uh, also with the uh, Rays rotation, they're, of course, down at this point to true starters and Chris Archer and um, Blake Snell, who uh, pitched a great one yesterday. Uh, but Nate Evaldi's going to join that mix next week. He uh, had a rehab uh, outing, and uh, Rays manager Kevin Cash said that it went well, despite the fact that Evaldi uh, did give up a bunch of hits. And he is expected to uh, be inserted into the race rotation for either Monday or Tuesday's game against the A's in Oakland, according to the Tampa Bay Times, Mark Topkin. So uh, Evaldi gives you another uh, option there. Uh, I would say probably in your mid to deeper size leagues. And uh, much like with uh, Joe Musgrove, who's going to be starting tonight, I think the first time or two out, especially the first time's a little shaky. Uh, it's a wait-and-see situation. I, I think it's uh, not a bad idea to pick up Evaldi and stash him. I think it's not a bad idea to pick up uh, Joe Musgrove if he's out there and stash him. But, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't start either one right away. 
give him a little chance uh, after uh, a long layoff. And in Evaldi's case, a very long layoff. Uh, report from John Heyman. This one's interesting. And John was actually on the show a few weeks back talking about this very situation. The Kansas City Royals, according to John Heyman, a fan, uh, fan rag, uh, the Kansas City Royals are letting teams know that they're ready to be sellers soon. I don't know exactly how soon is soon, but, you know, we're almost into June now. Uh, we're not quite by the, uh, you know, we're still two months away from the trade deadline. But things are going to be heating up a little bit. We do occasionally see the uh, the early summer uh, trades happen. So maybe the Royals will uh, get, get that kicked off. And also part of John Heyman's report, uh, he talked to a bunch of uh, GMs around Major League Baseball. And the consensus among those GMs was that the player that the Royals are most likely to trade is Kelvin Herrera. Uh, there's probably not that much of, of a market or at least a perceived market for Mike Moustakis, especially as a third baseman. Uh, John talked a little bit about how, you know, maybe Moustakis could go to a team that was looking for a first baseman, but, uh, it looks like the market may be a little soft on, on Moustakis and, you know, the other options, uh, you know, John Jay would be one, uh, that I know that, uh, that John referenced, um, you know, not likely to bring in, uh, that much of a haul for the Royals, but, Kelvin Herrera will, you know, hit that that sweet spot of, uh, you know, being a really valuable player for a lot of teams. Um, so and, and and certainly filling a need. So that that you know, for us fantasy owners, that that brings up a couple of concerns. And one is, does Kelvin Herrera go to a team that won't use him as a closer? That would be an absolute shame because Herrera is having a fantastic season, and there is something to be said about the fact that uh, Herrera, whatever capacity he pitches in, is likely to give you a whole bunch of good numbers, even if that doesn't include saves. But obviously, if he loses saves, that's, <laughs> that is a big part of his value. So, um, you know, that, that's one aspect to this uh, that, uh, you know, we need to think about. And, um, you know, as you're a, a Herrera owner, you know, maybe you need to give some thought as to whether or not you want to trade him. Uh, you know, I don't think there's urgency to do that, but it's it's something that you do have to think about. And it's not like this story is coming completely out of nowhere either. I mean, we all knew that the Royals were likely to be sellers, and we all knew that Herrera was going to be a really nice uh, chip for them. But that time may be getting, getting nearer. And then there's the other side of it that, when and if Herrera's gone, and it sounds more like when than if, then who closes for Kansas City? And you might think, well, Brad Keller's done a really good job in the setup role. Uh, he's he's kind of, you know, the, the bullpen doesn't really have a lot of standouts. He's really been one of them, and, and he's really sort of slowly, steadily worked his way into that setup role for the Royals. The problem is, is I just saw a report within the past week where Ned Yost said that he wanted to get Keller into the rotation at some point. So then you're probably looking at maybe Kevin McCarthy, uh, who may not be a bad closer, but I think more maybe in sort of the Brad Ziegler, Alex Claudio mold of not giving you very many strikeouts, but getting a lot of ground balls and possibly being effective, but not, not giving you strikeouts. Um, or maybe Blaine Boyer, who just really hasn't, hasn't been good yet. So not not you know it's a it's a tough situation and one that does is not really lending itself to speculation. So uh, with that said, let's take a quick look at the weather and lineups. The look at the weather is going to be super quick 
because uh, all of the games being played outdoors are going to be in good sunshiny clear weather or you know nighttime just good clear weather so uh no worries there in terms of setting your lineups uh cardinals lineup has no tyler o'neill in it so you're back to the the classic outfield of uh ozuna fam and fowler red Sox lineup is out yep mitch moreland at first base uh you, you've got uh oh so it is out this wasn't out before and my uh, initial report that i saw was correct no dustin pedroia you got brock holt at second base and that's about it. You got the Marlins and White Sox lineups out. Um, and Matt Davidson's still out for uh, the White Sox. But I don't see anything else of impact there. And uh, same thing with the Marlins. So uh, I think that's uh, pretty much going to get us uh, carried over into uh, our next segment. Bobby Sylvester from Fantasy Pros is going to be here with us in just a minute or two. And uh, I guess one last thing I'll do before we uh, head into break, get you caught up on the one game that's in progress, bottom of the fourth inning, Giants and Cubs, tied at a run apiece. Uh, Derek Holland doing all right there in Wrigley Field. Uh, uh, just the one run allowed, and that was in the play. Do have to head to break, but when we come back, Sylvester will be here, and a little bit later, Kyle Body as well. So do not go anywhere. Right back. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, very, very pleased to have on not one, but two guests today. So we got guest number one here in the house with us uh, from Fantasy Pros, a host of Fantasy Pros Fantasy Baseball Podcast, Bobby Sylvester. Bobby, uh, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, joining us today. It's my pleasure, Al. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, looking forward to talking some baseball. Yeah, well, a, a lot to talk about. I mean, it's really an interesting day with some of the news items that have uh, uh, come across this morning. The Hanley Ramirez thing uh, was was really uh, bizarre. Out of, well, out, out of first base, not out of left field, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, I know it's terrible. Uh, and uh, Orlando Arcia getting demoted. Um, so some really interesting stuff going on. But uh, they're also really interesting slate tonight. And so I wanted to, before we get on and start looking ahead to next week. Uh, take a look at the slate tonight because uh, for my daily lineup leagues, I had a, a tough time uh, you know, figuring out who to, to add and who not to add. And one player that I've already got rostered on one of my uh, daily lineup uh, league teams is Andrew Heaney. And he's got the Yankees at Yankee Stadium tonight. And I was really excited to pick him up a couple weeks back, was glad he was still out there. But not only is he facing the Yankees, but the Yankees are going – 
with Luis Severino. So uh, it's about as tough a matchup as as you can uh, find yourself uh, falling into. Uh, can, can we trust Andrew Heaney tonight? I don't believe so. You know, I love the Andrew Heaney pickup. And, in fact, he's still available in 64% of leagues. So I think he's someone you can scoop up probably less after tonight's game. Because, I mean, you know, I look at this <laughs> Yankees team and – Brett Gardner, Anduar, Neil Walker, they're all marginalized by lefties. Judge and Sanchez are, are reverse guys. So you might think this looks good, but they're still second best against lefties in the bigs. Tyler Austin's been destroying them. He was the best hitter in the minors last year against lefties. Torres and Stanton are beast, too. Severin on the mound. I've got Heaney getting like a 20% chance of picking up a win, and Vegas has the Yankees in play at 5.6 runs. So this is a desperate start tonight, at least. Yeah, now I have to agree, and it's tough, you know, especially I'm in a very uh, tight matchup with my opponent this week, and uh, it's a points league too, so you you might think, okay, well, how negative could I go? And I I couldn't do it. So uh, I actually went out and I picked up Zach Eflin instead. Um, So, uh, you know, I actually feel a little bit better about Eflin than I do about Heaney, which is... You know, it, it it seems odd to say, but he's uh you know picked up some some added velocity this season. The strikeouts are coming along with that, and yeah. you know whereas Heaney's got to you know compete with Severino for a win, Eflin's got Sam Gavilio, uh looks a little better. So it's you know uh, against the, the Blue Jays, uh, was that the right move to to pick up Eflin? You think? Absolutely. First, I'll say this. In a points league, I, I would start Heaney. In a head-to-head or a roto league, there's no chance I would start him. But uh, points, I think it's all about getting those innings. Now, if I have to decide between the two, I think it's definitely Eflin. My model's really high on him t- uh, tonight. Um, you know, every weekday I post my tables and projections on every probable pitcher. And tonight we've got seven decent streamers. That's, like, by far the most we've had all season. And Eflin is the top name of the bunch, 21% owned. He's looked great. You mentioned the, uh, the rise in Velo. Uh, I don't think his K-rate quite stays where it's been, but, um, you know, I bet he pitches five very strong innings, helps you with the ratios, and uh, picks up some points tonight. Yeah, and that's, you know, in a points league, and this is a head-to-head points league, uh, so, you know, I could get credit for a quality start if he makes it six innings, which I think he's got a yeah. decent chance of doing, uh, you know, so he doesn't even necessarily have to get the win, but, uh, you know, I, I feel a little uh, a little better about it after <laughs> after your analysis <laughs> of it. Uh, and so you you said what? There's seven streamers. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got seven streamers. I've never had more than four in a single day. Um, yeah, my model a, turned it up, and I was like, "Is there something broken on my model?" And I looked at all of them, and you know, it makes sense. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so who are some of the other streamers? Eflin. Uh, Joe Musgrove, John Gant, Mike Fires, and Fernando uh, Romero, who's he, he's on in 55% of leagues. He probably can't stream in most of them, but if he's out there, I think he's a great play against Seattle. Yeah, uh, yeah, Romero is one who is not available to me. Uh, I think that's a, a good call in terms of the availability there. Uh, I In the previous segment, I advised people not to start Joe Mus- Musgrove tonight just you know because it's his first start uh, coming off yeah. the DL. So, um, you know, uh, Seattle, or, sorry, not Seattle, St. Louis is such a, uh, there's so much volatility in what happened tonight with them. They could get shut out by the worst pitcher in the league, or they could go off for 15 runs against Clayton Kershaw. They've just been so questionable. So uh, it's, it's a risky play with Musgrove. Uh, I think more often than not, it would work out. We'll see. All right. 
Well, we will see. And, and I definitely think uh, he needs to be picked up and stashed at the very least. Uh, well, uh, we got, you know, you talk about having a bunch of streamers. I think that this is the largest and most interesting group of two-star pitchers for the coming week that I can recall seeing all season long, uh, which makes sense because these are uh, a lot of pitchers who started the, the previous two days. And, you know, we had a lot of interesting performances in those two days. So I want to get to that. But I also we, we uh, got uh, a question question from Twitter here that I absolutely want to make sure that we get to. So uh, let's get to it first and then we'll go to the two start uh, pitchers. Uh, so this is from at uh, Jay Legeza and he wishes us a happy holiday weekend. So same to you. And uh, all right. So this is a 12 team five outfielder Roto League. Which ratio-based uh, reliever or RP-eligible pitcher would we choose for the remainder of the season? And uh, it's a choice between Archie Bradley and Kyle Bearclaw. Uh, he adds both are very good on a per-inning basis, but it's becoming hard to roster both. Uh, does either stick out for us and why? So I'm really clear on my answer, but I'm curious to hear yours first. My answer, I, I, I lean pretty heavily. I don't think it's uh, especially clear. Uh, I'm all about Archie Bradley here. I think Bearclaw has a better chance at getting saves at this point. But, you know, when I see 10-team, 12-team league, it's not a mix. I mean, it's a mixed league. It's not, you know, NL only or anything like that. Saves are going to be available, and that's what Bearclaw gives you more. So uh, the difference in whip is going to be a good you know, 0.3, maybe even 0.4, because Bearclaw doesn't have the best uh, control. Bradley has exceptional control. Um, Bradley probably won't have quite as many Ks, but he's just going to help you so much with the ratios um, that I trust him quite a bit more. All right, you said exactly what I was going to say, so we can leave it right there. We're in total agreement, so that which is you know helpful to our our listeners. Uh, no ambiguity here. Definitely Archie Bradley, uh, even and 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 uh, he specified ratio based reliever. So it sounds like he's not interested in the saves anyway. But you and yeah, I both agree. Point. Even if the saves are relevant, go with Archie Bradley. All right, so let's get to those two star pitchers. Got a whole bunch here. And I'm going to start with one that I, I don't think I've had a good word to say about since he got called up, and that's Matt Cook. Uh, but he's got a couple of home starts, uh, so he's got the humidor working in his favor. He's got the Reds and the and the Marlins, so not bad matchups. In fact, the Marlins I think a very good matchup. Yeah, um, is that enough to trust Matt Cook this week? I don't believe so. You know, when you first sent this out, I always write a two-star pitcher uh, article on, on Saturday. And when you first sent this out, I was just starting to do my research, and I was like, oh, boy, some of these names, there's no way I would even think about it. And then I saw the matchups. And like you said with Cook, these are good matchups, but it's still not quite enough. Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable streaming him in either of them, but if I was desperate for some innings or some points in a points league, I, I could see myself going with him, but I'm not going to go out of my way to pick him up. I wouldn't either. And, you know, I, again, I've been very, you know, sort of negative and skeptical about him. Uh, he's yeah. been consistently at or near the top of the quote unquote leaderboard in terms of exit velocity allowed on uh, on airborne balls, uh, which to me is always a scary thing. Uh, he's not getting strikeouts, uh, but yet, you know, he's still, you know, respect giving you a respectable ERA. Um, I, but he and Jake Junis to me are just absolutely frustrating because I've been bashing them all season and they've both been doing pretty well. I think for both of them, the, uh, the, the comeuppance is, is, uh, eventually uh, going to be there, but maybe not this week for cook, uh, Brandon McCarthy, uh, a couple of good starts in his recent past and he's got, right. uh, uh, yep. A couple of home starts, which again, Atlanta isn't necessarily a good thing, uh, but against yeah. the Mets and nationals. So not a great venue. 
so-so matchups. Uh, is that enough for, for Brandon McCarthy? No, I don't think so on this one either. Um, what it really comes down to with McCarthy is he's got to have either a great matchup or be out of that ballpark. And in this situation, he has neither of them. Uh, I don't think the Mets are, are a great lineup, but it's definitely not an easy matchup like you would say about uh, so, <laughs> some of these other teams. So I'm avoiding McCarthy as well. There, there's definitely some names on this list that I like, so I'm not just going to trash them all. But uh, McCarthy I'm not very excited about. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a real mix for me too. So, um, yeah, no, I'm there. I, I like McCarthy a lot. I think for me it might be a, a, a wait-and-see week. You know, pick him up because if it goes well, you're probably not going to be able to get him or you may just be, maybe not be able to get him by the end of the weekend because people want a two-star pitcher. But yeah. I'm not sure I do, I, I do want to start him. And Tyler you know, he's Chatwood, really good against I'm lefties. Uh, he, yeah. he, McCarthy's really good against lefties, and lefties are what really works in that ballpark. So it was a nice pickup yeah. for the Braves to use him as a reverse guy in that ballpark, but um, I'm still not buying it at this point. Okay, that's no, that's an interesting thing to to take note of. Uh, and then Tyler Chatwood, uh, he's got road starts at Pittsburgh and at the Mets. Uh, you know, the walks are, are a consistent issue for him, but um, is there enough here to like? Yeah, um, you know, get, it really helps to get him out of course. Um, the matchups, I know Pittsburgh is leading the, the National League in runs, but that, that ballpark is great for Chatwood to go into. Um, going to, uh, to City Field as well helps out. I like Chatwood. He's number four on this list of, of two-star pitchers to pick up. Um, as a streamer, I'm not sure that he would be the top streamer of the day in either of these starts. Um, and usually there's only one or two streamers. But uh, with that being said, I think he's serviceable enough that if you want two starts, he's a decent guy to go get. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I agree. And, you know, uh, again, it sort of depends on the format. And, you know, if it's a points league, uh, there's certainly be said just about having the two starts. But I think you do have to be beware of the, the potential for, for the walks. Um, yeah. So uh, now Dan Straley, uh, you know, usually it's, He's got a couple of road starts, but usually for him, the key is, is he going to be at Marlins Park, being the, the fly ball pitcher that he is. But he's got really the next best thing. He's got uh, Petco, Petco Park and, um, and Chase, uh, Chase Field. Right. So uh, good parks, uh, offenses that have been struggling of late. So uh, good week to double up on Dan Straley. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm, I'm, I'm doubling up on Dan Straley for sure. I made a couple waiver wire claims. He's not my favorite on this list. Um, one guy that we're going to mention here in a minute, he's picked up in all the leagues that, that I would have liked to use him, but uh, Dan Straley's the next best thing as far as I'm concerned. The question with him is always, is he going to give up home runs? 62 in the past two seasons, which is just a huge number. He's safe in San Diego, and I'd maybe even say a great play in San Diego, and I'd use him in Arizona too. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's Arizona has become a good, good park to target and lately a good team to target. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Vince Velasquez, I don't know if this is who you were alluding to a moment ago, but he's got the yes. Dodgers and Dodger stadium and he's got the giants at ATT park. That's always a, uh, a, a fun, uh, matchup to uh, look forward to. So yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us about Vince Velasquez. Yeah. We talked about him a little bit Wednesday on my podcast and, uh, I love Velasquez. I'm picking him up in, virtually every league that I'm able to. He's ownable, I think, in most leagues. I'm not going to use him in every matchup, but in these two matchups, at Los Angeles, at San Francisco, great Paul Parks to pitch in, not bad matchups. He has huge upside. I'm going for it. I'm a big believer. All right. I'm not sure. 
I am not sure. And, you know, that giant start alone probably should be enough reason. I I just uh, – It's not so risky, over... isn't it? Yeah, I'm just not over kind of the, you know, the shock of past times when I've tried to start him and and it and he's just, you know, blown up. So, but yeah. it's, it probably doesn't get too much better than matchups. And uh, by the way, I'm just going to interject here because uh, I just saw, just to add this uh, to a day of some kind of surprising uh, transactions. I mean, this one's not a shocker, but um Actually, a couple of things worth noting here. Uh, Pirates DFA'd uh, George Contos to make room for Musgrove. So that's the move there. So he's totally out of that uh, bullpen mix in Pittsburgh. And yeah. also uh, I'm seeing from uh, Jason Mastrodonato that Blake Swihart's going to get some work at first base. Wow. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the more surprising. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. This is a uh, very surprising Tuesday, but I don't especially if you're seeing that one. Yeah, well, I you know I, I imagine probably just maybe to to build up his trade value. I mean, my hope is it won't won't uh, cut into Moreland's playing playing time too much, and I would be very surprised if it did actually. Yeah. All right. Well, back to the pitchers, and we actually were, or we got about two minutes left, so we may have to go a little faster on these. But Jeremy Helps cool. is somebody I've been uh, been uh, hyping up the last couple of weeks. He's got the blister, so that's a situation that's got to be monitored. If he's good yeah. to go, as expected, he'll get the uh, Orioles and Braves on the road. Um, some dangerous parks, potentially, but Helkson's been good. Uh, yeah, Bobby, hang on one second, because I think there, we've got a connection issue with your phone, perhaps. Oh, sorry, all right, now I think maybe we've lost you entirely. I'm, uh, I'm with you. If oh, you can hear me. You're back. All right, so yes. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm out of health, and I don't like these ballparks at all. I think he's the best pitcher of the group, but ballpark, the lineup's not interesting. All right. Well, let's uh, bundle up uh, the rest of the starters on this list. We've got Adam Plutko, who had the near no-no uh, the other night. Domingo Herman, who's uh, had two bad starts in a row. Daniel Gossett with a good uh, return to the A's rotation. And Marco Gonzalez uh, coming off of a good start as well. Plutko, it's um, versus the White Sox at home, on the road versus the Twins. Herman is Astros at home, Orioles on the road. Gossett uh, at home against the Rays, on the road against the Royals. And Gonzalez, uh, home starts against the Rangers and Rays. Yeah. Uh, Plutko is interesting against the White Sox. Herman is interesting in the bullpen. I want to see him back there. I think he's been awesome. Not interested in Gossett whatsoever. Gonzalez, absolutely love it. Former top 100 prospect, first round pick. If there's no 3.22, neither of the lineups scare me, especially in Seattle. Uh, I'm using Marco Gonzalez. Yeah, well, my, my take on uh, Marco Gonzalez was that he had those two starts against the Tigers back to back where you know, they were pretty mediocre starts. I just think that was a bad matchup for him. Uh, you know, the, the thing that I cited, uh, is that those are teams that are, or that is a team, I should say, that is good at making contact and, and he's, you know, he works in the zone a lot. So You're right. I think that these, these are much better matchups, particularly, I think the Rangers is a great matchup and that kind of makes the week for Marco Gonzalez. Uh, I really like that. Plutko, uh, I'd say wait and see at best as far as I'm concerned, but like I said, the White Sox are, are a pretty good matchup. So <laughs> on that note, Bob, we, we got a lot in, in 20 minutes. <laughs> well glad to have you on the show and, and I think the, unfortunately we're losing your connection again but Bobby thank you so much for joining us 
and hopefully we can have you back on again uh, sometime soon. So uh, hope you have a good weekend. And uh, you you're very welcome. So Kyle Body coming up right after this break. Just have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand, or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out now. You can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melkier, and I just want to take a second here to thank, once again, uh, Bobby Sylvester for joining us for that last segment. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at, at BobbyFantasyPro. And uh, from one guest, we go right to the next one. Very excited about uh, this uh, uh, first-time visitor to the show. Uh, you can find him uh, on Twitter also at DrivelineBases. Uh, talking about Kyle Body uh, from uh, Driveline Baseball, the uh, the founder of Driveline Baseball. Kyle, thank you so much. Uh, I know it's a busy, busy time for you. I uh, appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. Uh, so uh, I do, do appreciate it, Kyle. And uh, I don't know uh, how much uh, folks necessarily know about uh, Driveline Baseball, but uh, you're certainly behind a lot of uh, innovative uh, training techniques, uh, and, and there's a lot of information on your website. So I do encourage people to uh, go to the Driveline Baseball uh, website because it's, it's absolutely fascinating. But uh, maybe uh, you can uh, help us uh, understand some of the, the more, I guess, innovative and unique things that Driveline does because I know you work with a lot of data, but, you know, we're in an in a era where, you know, data is becoming a bigger part of baseball. But what are some of the things that Driveline does that sort of separates it from other places where, where players can train? Yeah, we have about 21 full-time employees now. Um, you know, started if, up to 10 years ago. It depends on when you want to call it official. I've been doing it full-time for about five now. And um, some of the things that really make it separated is that we have a full research and development team that rivals, you know, probably many of the MLB teams. We have quantitative analysts, uh, project management, software developers here um, that really back a lot of our player development uh, strategies. So while we do offer um, MLB draft services, we train hundreds of pitchers a year, uh, including college, high school, and you know plenty of people in the big leagues. Uh, it's backed by you know a quantitative approach, and that's always been the case. So it's been really fun to build out um, what I guess is the sabermetric uh, version of player development is kind of the elevator pitch. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been the vision for a long time, and to bring it to fruition has been really cool. Yeah, well, so you talk about, you know, having the vision for a long time. You've actually talked extensively through your Twitter account about the process of building up Driveline Baseball and uh, all of the work that you put into it, which just sounds in incredible in the literal sense of the term, just unbelievable amount of work. Uh, so what motivated you to go through that and stick through that entire process of, of creating uh, what is now Driveline Baseball? Yeah, the cliche, I think a lot of people, I'm 34, uh, my age, I had read Moneyball. Um, I, I didn't read it right when I came out. Um, I was kind of out of love with baseball at the time, but I read it about a year later. And the message I got from it was a lot different than what others did. So I got the play development side of it. You know, could we develop Scott Hatterberg? Could we develop those players? And it always was frustrating to me to read 
heard of all times baseball prospectus, and then Fangrass was new at the time, and no one was talking about it. So to me, I saw a market opportunity, kind of an entrepreneur by trade, and um, I just had faith that like the market was irrational about this type of thing, and that there was a real, there was going to be a need for it, uh, that there was a current need for it, but no one was acknowledging it. And um, through the ups and downs of it all, I just really believed that there were players that could be helped using a quantitative approach that were just not being served by the current market. And so I just always kept that in the front of my mind. Uh, easier said than done, but in the long run, you know, I, I feel like I was vindicated for sure. Uh, so when did things really start clicking for you? Like, you know, that, that moment when you realized, like, this, this is really this is really happening. <laughs> this is really going to be, uh, you know, be around for a while. Um, were there maybe certain players uh, that you worked with that, um, you know, helped you kind of spread the word or what, you know, what was that, that process? Yeah, it was a pair of events. In 2012, I gave a talk to a bunch of coaches, including probably half the MLB teams were represented at a Houston coaches boot camp. And my talk was, I had held the coaches at this boot camp. Um, in such high esteem. I said, you know, this is, I'm going to be the low man on the totem pole, and uh, I was excited, but also nervous. And then when I got there, and I heard their talks, and then I gave my talk, it was really clear that how I talked about baseball and player development was so different than these people who were really smart and some of my mentors today. And so when it was received very well, uh, that made me, okay, there's, there's something there. And then when we worked with a very bad 2013 version of Trevor Bauer and uh, made significant improvements that was like, okay, this could work at the lower levels, at the high school, college level, which is primarily where I'd been relegated to, and um, up to the big leagues, including a guy that was, um, you know, had a lot of talent, but was walking a lot of guys, his velocity was down, and was just frankly struggling after the trade to Cleveland. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, you'll you'll have your eyes uh, on that uh, Astros Indians uh, series this weekend. No doubt about it, and I'm uh, and I'm from Cleveland, so it's uh, it's added, it adds an extra little bit of it of excitement. Ah, interesting, interesting. Um, well, one of the things that I saw while uh, you know perusing the the driveline site, like I said, there's just so much information there. But something that really caught my eye: you do both uh, pitcher and hitter training. And one of the things that's featured on the hitter portion of the website is Axbat training, and that that struck a chord with me because I pretty much am incapable. Uh, on this program of talking about Kurt Suzuki without talking about his axe handled bat. But I, it wasn't clear from looking at the website, those are actually the same bats or maybe a modified version of that type of bat that Kurt Suzuki has had so much success with uh, increasing his power. Is is that more or less the same thing? Yeah. So we, um, axe bat is right down the road from us. It's not even five minutes. It's been a real great partnership. Um, we hired a hitting coordinator, a hitting coach, Jason Ochart, <clears throat> from Menlo College, who coached Lucas Ursag, as well as a few other very good players. And um, we just made a partnership with them, and they wanted to do a lot of research into underload and overload bats, which we wanted to do, uh, and then using an axe handle with all that. So it's been a great partnership for over the years. Um, we've helped develop those underload-overload bats. We brought them to market. And, yeah, it's the exact same axe handle that Amuki Bats and Kurt Suzuki uh, would use. There's, all, there's kind of different um, – modifications to the axe handle but the base technology is the same and um hitters every week or more pro hitters are switching every week to the to the handle that's really really cool to see that uh you you pretty much uh foresaw my next question because i just thought if, if, if kurt suzuki could have such clear before and after results with it why are we not seeing more players switch over but maybe uh, so that it's starting to gain some momentum 
Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, baseball players are the most superstitious people in the world, especially, and hitters especially. So getting them to switch, they have bad contracts, too. They've signed when they were uh, in, the, in the draft. And then also a lot of them come from colleges where X-bats are not that common yet. So uh, they're just so used to the round handle and so used to swinging a certain type of wood bat, whether it's in the Cape Cod League or the minor leagues, that, you know, the X-bats only been around for a few years on the pro side. So it's, it's starting to make inroads that, in my opinion, is way, way ahead of schedule. I'm sure the marketing people at Axe would like to see it pick up a little bit faster. Uh, but at the end of the day, you used to have some of the best players, including, you know, potentially the best player in baseball, Mookie Betts and others, using um, the, the Axe handle. So it's really interesting to see. And it's been really cool to work with those guys every day. All right. Well, uh, so at least for me, that association, maybe that'll weaken uh, as more and more players start using it. Uh, so, well, you know, I think that the angle here, uh, that's certainly probably most most relevant for um, uh, people who play fantasy is, uh, you know, getting an understanding of how you use a lot of the same stats that we use, uh, you know, to try to put our teams together. You know, you're using that to try to help players uh identify their their areas for improvement and, and make those improvements. So uh, how much of a role do sabermetrics play in your work and, and also uh, the, the stack cast measures? And I would just maybe tack on to that question. Do you have data maybe that's proprietary uh, to your organization that, that we wouldn't even know about? Yeah, so uh, to take it in order, yeah, we use sabermetrics every day. Uh, our quantitative analyst who's sitting 15 feet away from me is uh, – builds a uh, you know, StatCast database every day. So every day we have the newest StatCast uh, information uh, plus the data from MLB teams that send it to us, which can be proprietary uh, at times, um, plus uh, corrections to that data as necessary. So we have a full you know, quantitative department here. Um, and then we also have, we've had TrackMan here, uh, Rapsodo, and we actually have PitchFX. We're one of two facilities in the country that have a private PitchFX system, the old PitchFX system. So it's really cool. Uh, and then we also have um, hit tracks that we can actually generate, you know, batted ball, launch angle, um, and distance and exit velocity every time we take batting practice. So we're collecting hundreds of data points per day from our hitters and our pitchers. Um, and it, it all goes into a database and is analyzed uh, using machine learning algorithms and such to try to do our best to figure out what, what are we doing right, what are we doing wrong, what, what are, where are the gaps in our training, and that's not just hitting, it's not just skill, right? It's strength, mobility, and we have a doctor of physical therapy, and all these people are looped together to just create the best athlete. And um, that's been something I've been a big proponent of for the last 18 months, and so we've been able to staff up and get the right people in place. And it doesn't mean that there's not bumps in the road. You know, we don't have it all solved, but, um, you know, we're making a really good headroom, um, really good headway in the industry, and I think we're really further, further ahead than most MLB teams on that side of it. So it's been really cool. Well, you know, you're talking. You referred to the, you know, sort of the bumps in the road, and you know, to us as observers and, and lay people, it sounds just, you know, it sounds kind of easy. Like, oh, you, you know, you have all this equipment and all these, you know, metrics uh, that you're, you're collecting or, or you know that you you use, and uh, you know, you just you know spot where there's a problem and you fix it. But I, I'm sure that's much easier said than done. So, what what would you say? You know, you talked about um, superstition. But what would you say would be the biggest obstacle that you and your staff face in trying to build that bridge from identifying problems with data and actually getting a solution implemented? Yeah, the, the number one thing, I think people look at it as a top-down approach, which, you know, if you're a fan grass reader or intrepid, 
Saber metrics, you know, Saber analysts, you say like, well, the analysis is um, complicated and it comes from a database, but if you throw enough manpower at it, you can solve it. And that's true, but the issue is um, we don't have a canonical source of data. Like it has to be collected by entry-level employees. So having people to collect the data every single day from a Moda sleeve, a Rapsodo, a TrackMan, Hittrax, uh, whatever the device may be, is actually the, the hardest problem, is actually getting all the data stuff from um, every single day. Because when you hire a coach from college or you train a coach, that's never been part of their workflow, right? If we hire a coach from uh, the twins, just say, from A-Ball, they collect data like charting and velocity, but they don't collect modus stress, uh, biomechanical stress in our, you know, our biomechanical lab. That's a gold standard, one of the best in the country. Um, they don't, they're not used to that, right? So onboarding someone is not just familiarity, but also really training them to think differently about how we're going to train a pitcher. And that means collecting data that's not going to be actionable today or tomorrow, but hopefully it will be actionable for that person, you know, a month, a year from now, and then also benefits the whole. So it's a real collectivist approach that requires very long-term thinking. And that's really difficult for any human being, actually. So uh, that's, that's, that's really the big bump in the road is human, human short-sightedness when it comes to baseball. And that doesn't, that doesn't just apply to my employees. It, employ, it applies to me. So anytime I'm um, really rushed or impatient, um, I just have to think that, you know, years down the road, it'll be really, I'll be really, really pleased we spend all these resources and time um, because you can never really predict which insight or which piece of data was really the thing that you really needed to collect. Now, if you knew, that'd be really easy, but you, you don't. You just have to collect it all and store it and label it correctly. And that may seem like a huge chore, uh, but it's something that's really important. And it's something, it's something I've gained respect for over the years because I used to be a professional gambler. I used to be I worked, I used to trade derivatives. I've been in the finance industry, so I'm predisposed to understanding that. And still, it's complicated. Still, it's frustrating to me. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting road for sure. Uh, absolutely, I would imagine it is. Uh, well, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I really wanted to make sure that we we talked about, Kyle, was. Um, you know, you work with all this data, and actually on your Twitter feed, you, you talk quite a bit about spin rates, and of course that's, you know, been, you know, a, a, a popular, uh, you know, buzzword uh, for the last couple of years, buzz phrase, uh, but, you know, I, I, you among others on Twitter have, you know, cautioned us as readers to be careful about how we interpret spin rates, so what is it that we should be mindful of, uh, you know, particularly, you know, as fantasy owners, if we're trying to use that as a measure for something, uh, you know, to figure out, uh, you know, whether a pitcher may be a, a hidden bargain, for example, or, or there's a danger sign. What is it we should know about spin rates and how to interpret them? I like to look at it uh, like two things. One, um, Tango Tiger once said, you know, why do we care about spin rate? Because we have pitch effects, X and Z movement, right? And so movement is enough of a descriptor of a pitch to give you an idea if this pitch is any good or not. And I agree. So the value of spin rate is not the number or is it good or whatever. The number uh, to me is like the, the pitch movement numbers are the things that we care about most. Uh, for example, when we were designing Trevor Bauer's slider and he was developing it here, we wanted to have a pitch that broke eight inches laterally and ideally zero inches vertically. Uh, that would that to us identified a hole in his pitching repertoire that we thought that would be really, really valuable. Um, if anyone's watched Trevor, you know that he's thrown very well with it, and as a result, his slider is, at his best days, is around 7 and 0. So, but spin rate won't tell you, give you any more information on that, but what it will give you 
is what if someone's pitch is currently bad or currently average, but the spin rate is really high. That means he has the ability to spin a ball, but he just hasn't yet figured out how to con to make that uh, into on-field results. Right? He can spin a ball, which is a very unique talent. It's hard to get, um, but it's a bad pitch. But that that illustrates potential. Right? So then that's something a long-term fantasy owner can take into account. Is he with the right organization? So if he's with the Marlins or the Reds, like a team that are very poor at developing pitchers, uh, that signal's not that useful. But if you have someone with high spin rate and he's on the Indians, the Astros, the Dodgers, they're like, okay, you know, they traded for this guy, they have this guy, why is he still around? Um, Tony Singrani is a great example of why he became so much better with the Dodgers, right? Because he had the raw tools that everyone could see, but it didn't translate into outs until there was a pitching coach and a front office that really embraced it. And so then that's how I think you can use metrics like spin rate, exit velocity, launch angle, things that are descriptors of what's happening, but you have to get them in front of the right coaches, and certain MLB organizations are good at it, and certain ones are not. And so knowing those things um, can put you really far ahead. Wow. Well, and that echoes uh, a message we've gotten from uh, Alan Jager, who's been on the show a few times. And so, uh, you know, that's a, a, probably a variable we maybe don't pay enough attention to uh, as fantasy owners and as fans. So uh, very cool to get that insight. Well, Kyle, we're pretty much out of time here. But again, I just want to uh, thank you again for uh, for taking the time and uh, talking with me here today. And again, we encourage people to go find you on Twitter at Driveline Bases and to check out uh, the Driveline Baseball website. All right, you bet. All thanks for having us on. Okay, absolutely my pleasure. So, uh, well, folks, I hope you uh, found that as uh, informational and useful as, as I did and a very, very cool way to uh, wrap up this week. And just to uh, let you know, there will be no Fantasy Baseball Hour on Memorial Day. No show on Monday. However, I'll be checking in on Twitter uh, at AlMelchiorBB to answer your lineup questions and uh, waiver uh, claim questions and such. So uh, find me there because uh, you won't find me here on the air on Monday. Anyways, have a great long weekend, everybody. I will see you again on Tuesday. Take care.